0: So my next conversation is with Wayne Wape Makwa. He's a filmmaker who is premiering his new film Luck Lucky at the Toronto International Film Festival, and I believe the first showing is going to be on September the 12th at the TIFF Lightbox. You might want to look into that. This is a, a remarkable, uh, compelling film that has deep uh, and profound philosophical implications that uh, will, will I believe, meet you where you are. I was, I was profoundly moved by this on a variety of levels and it's it's a film about so many things like any great film it it has uh a variety of layers, and, and and Wayne and I had a great time. I hope, I hope he feels the same way. But it was one of those conversations, one of those interviews that I just don't want them to end. There's, uh, you know, we talked we talked about, the, you know, pretty much everything, you know, from uh, nihilism to 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 psychoanalysis. We we got into uh, why why love matters. What what is it about community that 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 is kind of a central starting point? We talked about glib patriotism. How interesting is that? And we made sure to clarify that Wayne is not anti-hockey. You might, you might want to know that going in. But uh, do, do uh, listen in. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. And more importantly, I think you need to get out and see this film without a doubt. And why we all need to check our love uh, from, from time to time. Uh, Wayne Wape Makwa coming right up. And his new film, Luck Lucky, Lucky. Don't forget uh, face-to-face-live.ca for more uh, interviews there. And there's going to be quite a few coming up uh, at the festival this year. And rabble.ca as well for for other interviews, too, uh, dealing with a whole lot of issues. Wait for it. Wayne Wapimakwa coming your way. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a, another very special guest today, and a, 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 we're at a, a really favorite time of year for me. TIFF is about to roll in a couple of weeks, and we have a director with us uh, today, Wayne Wapemukwa, is with us today to talk about his new film. Uh, Wayne, thanks, thanks, for your,
1: uh, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. I'd be, um, I've been looking forward to this all week, and I'm happy to be here.
0: So, so, uh, luck, lucky. Tell 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 us about the film. It it it's it's not spelled the way it sounds. It's L U K L U K dash
1: I, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. There are a couple different variations on the spelling that I found, but that is the one that's the most prevalent. Um, the name itself is the indigenous name for the area known today as the Downtown Side. So. Canada might have about 150 years of history, but this area has thousands of years of meaning and cultural significance for a multiplicity of different nations. And so with the, with the movie, what I'm attempting to do is to unearth some of the deeper repressions that our country has um, founded upon that land. And the movie itself though is about five Vancouverites living on the fringes of society. During the 2010 Winter Olympics.
0: Why, why, why set the 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 story against the backdrop of the Winter Olympics?
1: Well, that's actually, I mean, yeah, that's interesting because um, it is, it was a weird decision. That was actually perhaps the most important decision I made before hmm. finishing the script. Hmm. There was a time when I was thinking about not doing that and just having it like a, a day in the life right. kind of thing.
0: Right, a, a movie about five people living in the downtown
1: east side. Yeah, like over a day, you right. know? Oh, and I that, see, That okay. was that. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, but I think the decision to commit to 2010 was, I was led to there for a number of factors, one of them being the simple contrast between, you know, the life on the streets versus the life on the rink. Um the contrast between Canada's poorest postal code, the Downtown east side, and the world's most livable city during the glib patriotism of the game. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, in an important way, I guess, like the setting of 2010 was meant to bring out these larger political issues. um, But at the same time, I think that it reflects the form of the movie as being split, very much split from within. Fact, fiction, real, fake. Um, 2010, 2017.
0: Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that glib patriotism. So, so connected to hockey, is it hockey? Is it, is it that, is it that Canadian sort of, um, I don't know, disinterest in what's really going on? Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Um, A little bit, yeah. I mean, the movie itself is definitely not anti-hockey and I I personally am not anti-hockey either. I think that would be a, a somewhat banal position to take on the matter. Um, The reason why um, I elect the phrase glib patriotism is because I'm interested in the way in which um, different things, um, such as sports, and specifically hockey, for example, can be deployed by the settler state um, in order to advance the interests of colonization and theft of land, um, which we could also call renoviction today or Mm. gentrification. So. That's, I think, the thing that I'm interested in with the patriotism is what is it that allows the settler state to not only continue colonization, but continue colonization in insidiously, in insidious ways that come off as um, patriotic or as um, pleasurable, I guess. And so the patriotism involved in spectating hockey, I guess, is one of the things I'm interested in about that mechanism of what makes colonization, what enhances colonization and what allows it to perpetuate.
0: So when you say, so, so colonization in a way uh, is, has, has, I suppose, some would argue, a historian would probably argue it's ended, right? It ended, and of course it all comes down to definition, it seems to me. And so you're, you're talking more, though, about the, the ideological impact of it the, and the more, almost the more insidious nature of it, the, the stuff that you can't kind of see
1: Certainly, I mean. So, I mean, there's a number of problems with um, the the question. I think Um, I I would hope that no historian would ever say that colonization has ended. First of all, if I ever met a historian (laughs) who told me to my face that colonization is over, I would I would punch them in the face (laughs) because we have it now on tape,
0: folks. We now have it. There we go. Yeah,
1: it is a categorically false statement. Um, If anything what's happened is that colonization has changed in very mm. insidious mm. and, um, I guess, macabre ways. Like, we we could talk about what does colonization mean yep. in the downtown East side now that all the land has been stolen, but that's also another question because the land never was technically uh, ceded, right? So, right. and there are many parts of the country, there are many parts of the world where there actively is land being stolen at this very moment. Um, I think we saw, one of the more, um, uh, one of the more, one of the paragons of this may have perhaps been Standing Rock, where, um, you know, with the advent of a pipeline, that is, an, that, is an, that is an item that is advancing the theft of land and the theft of resources in a very physical way. But to say that colonization is over because land has been stolen is false, because land hasn't been stolen and it is continuing to happen at this very moment.
0: Does it does it end through recognition, Wayne? Is that kind of what you're Certainly to...
1: not. Oh. No. That is also a, a very, very um problematic solution. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess if we can get down to like some of the more theoretical inspirations for um the movie, I think um there's a number of inspirations I've taken from different arts, but I think that one of the Most important philosophical frames of reference would be Glenn Coutard's work, um, specifically Red Skin White Masks, which came out in
0: 2014.
1: Okay. And in that text, Glenn makes a very compelling and persuasive and true argument that recognition, recognition politics specifically, as they are expounded by Charles Taylor, um, you know, in the early 90s, I think, um, is actually just another way that colonization has perpetuated itself so why why is it that the settler state is in a position to recognize other sovereign indigenous nations right that in itself the setting up that problematic is the problem itself because the settler state technically isn't in a position of sovereignty over indigenous nations so what does recognition mean in that context i suppose so that's also something that I've tried to play with artistically sure. in the movie as well. Yeah, the sure. idea of misrecognition, and that comes from my more psychoanalytic background. As right. um, well, so how I does it get into this in his book? But um, sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say reflection really seems to play a role in in in, Ange- in Angel's character, right? For and and others oh, yeah. too. But there's just the way you introduce. I mean, I gotta say. Oh, by the way, congratulations. <laughs> i just I, I i i love i mean i i, I felt on one level so uh pu- pulled in uh i mean it's a tragically beautiful film and and i felt um i almost felt like i shouldn't be watching you know the way that you you introduced the characters the way you let me into their lives these the performances are just so is it is it fair to say that the kind of raw performances but but a deeply comedic edge to it and just just full of life you know and and um yeah so anyway congrats and coming up by the way let's put in a little plug September 12th uh, world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, and to get really specific at 17 uh, 7, 15 p.m. at uh, the TIFF Lightbox so yeah congrats on a on a really uh, compelling film um so yeah the mirror the image the reflection you really you, that plays largely into Angel's character but th- probably in others as well.
1: Yeah, so I guess the the, the key word here is fantasy.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so when I when I read Glenn's work on recognition and misrecognition, immediately alarm bells start going off for me because of um, all of the the con that I've read. I'm a, I'm a very avid um, psychoanalytic reader. Okay. And the idea of misrecognition is a very important idea because it's basically the foundation to one's identity is that we all kind of are walking around thinking of ourselves as an orthopedic whole. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves in the mirror, but you know, when you get down to it we're actually just a bricolage of different drives. And so what I tried to do in the movie to convey that more esoteric idea, I guess, was to have fantasies, to film the fantasies of the non-actors that were brave enough to share their stories, not only with me, but with the world. Sure. And what happens then? Like, are do they lose themselves in these fantasies, or do they find themselves? And ultimately, the larger question at hand is, what happens to Canada as a state during the Olympics, which is itself a very important fantasy? Does Canada lose itself? Can Canada see itself? And what is revealed within the fantasy of the 2010 Winter Olympics?
0: You know, it's a film to me. I mean, the story itself is just so deeply uh, philosophical. It's, it's about trauma. It's about, it's about relationship. It's about the other. It's about, you know, uh, our existential response to, to, to those that live around us or, or lack of response. I, sub- I mean, it just this, to me, one of the signs of any great film is that the layers, and there's so many layers here. When you stepped into this story what was kind of the launching point for you? What was the catalyst? I mean, obviously some of the philosophy you've been reading, some of the psychoanalytic work with Khan and so on. Was it a person? <laughs> was it somebody you were introduced to that, and you went, wow, this, this is the beginning. I see it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, there was no like singular epiphany, I guess. Um, but I think that the foundational moment, if I can say that, was, was just meeting Angel. Hmm. Um, I met Angel, I think in like, 2013 um when i just coming off of my last short film which was at tiff and i was ready to make another movie and i was doing research on the downtown east side and angel was kind enough to meet up with me a few times and we eventually started to talk about doing a movie and um you know i was kind of going back and forth i was humming and hawing about who to cast as like the main actress who was going to play a sex worker and then angel just up told me she's just like, you know what, Wayne, um, I want to do it. Like, mm. you know, sex work and acting, there's, there's really not that much of a difference. Mm. So I said, okay, you know, <laughs> I took the plunge. I trusted Angel. She trusted me. And from then on, I think I was sold. I was absolutely sold on the idea of telling real stories with real people.
0: And, and, and is every, well, I was going to, is everyone, I was going to say, is everyone a real actor? That's a weird question based on some of the conversation we've
1: already had,
0: but, um, Yeah, what what would you call these folks actors?
1: Uh, Absolutely, I would. Yeah, I mean, the industry at large would refuse to, but as far as I'm concerned, every single person in this movie is excessively talented. And that talent comes from bravery, and it Mm. comes from courage, and Mm. it comes from trust, and it comes from time, and it comes from love, and it comes from our relationships that we've been building over the past few years and months at times. And so um, to call them all... Actors is, is also a complicated question, however, because um so Angel is somebody who wants to be an actress. Jody on Buffalo, who, who you might remember actually from Hello Destroyer. From Hello um,
0: Destroyer, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yep. Yeah. So he, he's also an actor that wants to act, but um this is only his second this was only his second credit at the time, I think. Second or third. Um same with Ken maybe second or third credit Eric is somebody who only ever acts with me and he's been in a couple of my short films and Miss Roller Girl, this is her, her breakout performance. So in terms of experience acting, I think the majority of the cast, um, just work with me mostly. Right. Um, And even though they want to, you know, platform into other projects in the future. Yeah.
0: How, how do you, how would you define, uh, uh, and by the way, I, I, I know you've, uh, you mentioned before the tape was rolling that you've just finished your MA in philosophy, and that, that also another congratulations. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Te- why aren't you teaching and writing philosophy rather than making films? Uh, well,
1: what's the difference? <laughs>
0: nice. I probably you know, not. Probably
1: not a lot of difference. That's what I say. I mean, yeah, I've only ever made movies and read philosophy at the same time. Um, my grandmother introduced me to two of the most important things that I've ever known in my life. One was nihilism, and the other was socialism. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, even as a young kid, I was reading, unfortunately, I was reading a lot of Sartre and Nietzsche and um, had an exceptional film program in my, my normal public high school that was you know, in farm country, Langley. So I've, to be honest, I've only ever made movies and done philosophy at the same time. So I just keep on doing it.
0: Well, and isn't it really about a dialogue, a conversation?
1: Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, I think the kinds of questions that philosophy is interested in are very much indeed the same questions that cinema may perhaps be interested in. So, you know, again, there's a parallax I find between the two.
0: So how much of this film is about community and about, about finding healing through community?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, in an important respect, that's all the movie is about Mm. ultimately, right? Mm. Um, Communities are held together by stories. They're not held together by tragedies. And that was an important perspective that I wanted to adopt um, when making a movie about the downtown Eastside, because this is an area that has been colonized in more than one way. Um, It's been colonized artistically and aesthetically. And so, for me, one of the Perhaps the most important decisions I made on the movie were before it even started. Um, How am I to approach this community? Um, Am I an outsider? How can I deal with that? How do I check my prejudice? How do I check my privilege? Um, And one of the things that I thought was going to be the most important was community building and being involved in the community in as much of a capacity as I possibly could. Because I knew it was going to be a movie about a community. And specifically, how this particular community can rise above um, some of the challenges and violences that it's been facing for for some people for decades, for others, millennia
0: so. For, Wayne, is this, is this a movie about, um, is going to sound kind of trite, I think, but, but, uh, work with me here a little bit. (laughs) It's, uh, kind of (coughs) ripping off, I think it's Ken's character near the end of the film. And, and, and for me, I think that was, for me anyway, I don't know about others. That was kind of, okay. It's, it's, it's making another kind of sense now when he says, you know, um, um, I think he's starting to, to to get a little more honest with, um. Uh, another character in the film will will have been scared together he says and it's a, it's a scary scary place this universe mm-hmm. is that kind of a a sort of a subtext for you as well uh maybe as a philosopher but as a filmmaker uh, and as these you know as all of these folks just you know their stories are intertwined um they're living together they're they're working through it together much like all of us in our own ways yeah uh, is that is that kind yeah. of is that kind of where you were heading with this I guess the question is: Is that the starting point?
1: Um, yeah, I mean it, 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 it's 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 an interesting it's a very complex question. Yeah, um, right. It is a very but that's what we deal with, isn't it? <laughs> so well, and and we great filmmakers, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, one can only hope. Um, so yeah, I think anxiety is not a starting point, but I think. Um, perhaps, like, the prism, the emotional prism that I I wanted to use specifically for Ken. I'm not entirely sure that anxiety factors as importantly in the other stories, perhaps, with Eric a little bit. Okay, um, yep. There's one sequence in particular where Eric meets uh, his son um, at the yes. hockey game. Yes. And, um... Okay, so that, yeah, yeah. Here we go. This is good. So, like, that—that's his actual son. First of all, wow. Um, that's okay. Justin, and I met Justin in 2015 when I was doing a documentary with Eric, and Eric asked me to track down his son. So, um, I did, and um, uh, I oh, there's one other scene in the movie where Eric is writing a Facebook message to his son, and yes. he's writing the message with Joe. Yeah. Um, that was me. So I was in. I was in Joe's. Spot in in that room, which is Eric's room, writing that message for him. And eventually, I tracked Justin down. And you know, Justin's got to be the kindest, coolest person that I, I've mm-hmm. met in my life. We we met up. We had a talk about the situation. And I was I was very um f- I was very upfront about the fact that I didn't want to come across as somebody who's like you know from the Make a Wish Foundation or anything right. like. I'm, I'm here because Eric's a friend of mine and he asked me to reach out to you. So that's that's where I'm at, Would you want to talk to him or something like that. But um, other than that, that's kind of – that's not my job is to, to build family. But when I was actually having that interaction with Justin, I was myself having a lot of anxiety because it reminded me of a lot of things that I've gone through in my life. And it was a very anxiety-provoking experience for me personally hmm. because I was, like, sitting across from somebody who – was relatively the same age as me, right? saying things that I have heard come out of my own mouth about their family. So that was the emotional window for me at that moment, was the way in which anxiety can serve as a medium for something more truthful, I guess.
0: Well, okay. and isn't that the point that the whole, isn't that the, the hope of the existentialist that it gets you to a little bit more of an authentic place where, and, that, and, and, that, and now it seems to me, we're back to community. Right, we're back to yeah, others. We're yeah. back to relationships. We're back to being honest and transparent with one another. And this is what I think is so beautiful about the film. Um, watching that scene, Wayne, uh, with Eric and, and and Justin was I. I actually I'm a relatively new dad. I've got a you know 12 year old son and a nine year old daughter. It was hard to watch. And I think part of it was not only their interaction, but I think kind of the way you filmed it. And, and you know the. the the, the almost choppy cross cutting is that a fair way to, to to say it
1: yeah no i mean there was to to be technical about it um that was probably i think that was the last sequence that i edited in the movie and um that was probably mostly for personal reasons hmm. um and there's a lot of resonances again with my personal life but one thing that i went through a couple different versions of it and one of them was linear like you know you know, they meet up, they talk. He leaves. There, that's the end of it. Right. But it didn't quite work for me. And so, what I ended up doing was cutting it to his emotional reality. It's like mm. because Eric isn't experiencing that moment like in a linear fashion. He's not experiencing it like you know, A to B to C to D. He's experiencing like A F one three asterisk, four. So what I tried to do was cut it according to his emotional and psychical reality. Um, and I thought that that would maybe, I guess you tell me, but I thought that it would kind of bring the audience closer actually to where he's coming from. Because I wanted to avoid constructing a scene where we thought of him as an asshole. I wanted right. to construct a scene where we were to be able to go in his shoes and empathize with him in an important
0: way. Well, it, that it would be anxiety provoking. It's exactly how it, well, that's how it played out for me. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I think empathy is interesting that you bring that up. I felt, I think if, if I had an emotion after watching your film, it it, it is empathy. It's, um, I, 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 I feel, hmm, I feel affirmed as, a, <laughs> as a human being, a being, as a dad, as, as a husband, as a friend. And, and, and now I want to take it to the next level. Like that, that was, that was the, uh, I would say my overarching reaction, but yeah, in that particular scene definitely drew me in, and and in, in a really compelling and engaging way. And like I say, it was it was, and, and I think that's what what made it hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How how would I have reacted? How would I have responded to that uh, as a son and or you know as a father? Um, yeah. yeah, You know, would, would you would you call yourself an experimental filmmaker? <laughs>
1: Uh, No, but telefilm would. Um, <laughs> I've been called. <laughs> apparently, me. apparently, I'm an untraditional oh. house filmmaker, and I mean, okay, so is that I a good? These, is that a good uh, thing. thing? I don't care. I mean, I don't mean that in a in a pejorative way. It's, to <laughs> right. me, like, it's the whole question is so senseless from, right. from the get go. But the terms are senseless, and. I have the same response that Werner Herzog had when I was like, I I must've been like 12 or 13 and I was watching Q on on the CBC. I think it was televised in those days. I'm not sure, but uh, Werner was on in an interview and he was asked by the host um, if he is an avant-garde filmmaker. And do you know what his response was?
0: I, I don't actually. I wish I, I wish I did.
1: Right. It was no, I am not an experimental avant-garde filmmaker. I am the absolute center of the universe. And that's the kind of position that I take is, to me, the experimental weird uh, filmmakers are people like James Cameron that Mm. make, like, obnoxiously normal, simple-minded movies. Like, to me, that's absurd cinema. That is crazy. Um, I'm just here to, you know, help convey a story about five people that have been brave enough to share their stories with me. And I'm trying to do it in the most truthful mm. and honest way I can. Yeah. And that's why the movie comes across the way it does.
0: No, it 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 makes a ton of sense, and therefore it's not experimental. at All it's 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 it. it, it well, it's interesting. We're back to the word "real" again, or maybe "authentic" is yeah. better.
1: It's more sure, it's but more... I mean that's also a question, right? Like, I mean, yeah. what what does that mean? Like, yeah. if this is a documentary, well, you know. Well, and that's I'm, another I'm question too.
0: I have for you is, right. is it, is it a doc? Is it a narrative film? It seems like this beautiful blend. I hate the polarization and the, you know, the implied in the question, but it's, it's certainly a beautiful blend of uh, various ways of telling a story.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for as far as like, you know, our financial documents and grants go, it's a narrative because um, people don't understand me when I start talking about documentary, right. but
0: right.
1: Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's a documentary through and through. It just happens to be a documentary which documents not only the quote unquote real life, but also the psychical life. Right? So what I'm documenting is the fantasies of, of the individuals in the movie. And these are real fantasies that they've told me. Um so we you know, one great example is there's a there's a UFO in the yes. movie. Yes. Right? So somebody's like, to me, they're like, well, how can it be a documentary if there's a UFO? <laughs> right. And, right, and then my response is, you know, very, very, very cool handedly that, well, of course, it's a documentary, because Mark, the character who Joe is playing, who was a real person, um, who unfortunately passed away before he mm-hmm. the camera, um, he saw UFOs. And I remember being with him, I remember hanging out with him, giving him a ride home. And he would, you know, look out the window and say that there's a UFO. No, I don't believe in, UFOs necessarily, but it's not my job to pass judgment on what he thinks is real. So that's why it's a documentary, is because I'm documenting the real fantasies of, of people.
0: What? So so how do you, so Lacan said, the truth is structured like a fiction. It's quoted on your website uh, for the film, which is uh, luck, com for those of you who are interested, L-U-K, L-U-K-I film.com. What, what, what does that mean?
1: Well, it means that reality isn't it means, it means that reality is framed by fantasy so what that means is that um, you know if you take for example a dream so you're dreaming and you know some sort of traumatic or scary thing happens in the dream and you wake up it's important to note the fact that you wake up the moment that something becomes more real than reality itself in the dream something touches you and an obtruse and anxiety provoking way which you wake up into so reality is an important importantly reality is importantly the escape from something that's more real than itself reality is framed by fantasy it's framed by and you can understand that in terms of ideology you can understand it in terms of you know um settler identification what have you the fact that it remains that um our reality does not make sense without some sort of fantasy frame that provides a consistency. So when Lacan says that truth is structured like a fiction, what he means is that in order to access the truth, we must pass first through fiction. Mm. Fiction must overlap itself in order to actually become more real.
0: Does it have anything to do with that? Is it? Is it? Are you? Is it? Is it, is it the Disneyland-like
1: fiction? <laughs> um. No. Like, like okay. Okay. The, the That hype, is the... a good question. <laughs>
0: The hyper the, well,
1: hype, the hyper those fantasies? Right. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure that those are fantasies in the way that I'm talking about it, because, and this is the important distinction, I, I believe, what I'm documenting are the parts when fantasy breaks down. Mm. The parts when the fantasy starts to fracture, and you can see the cracks, and you can kind of just make your way through them. And that's the truth that I'm trying to get to. In Disney World, that never breaks down. And they make it guarantee that it never breaks down. Right, right. Sorry, to get back to the movie here, the important point, I guess, to relate it is that what I'm interested in is the way in which the Winter Olympics in 2010 as a giant social fantasy broke down. What were the cracks of that fantasy, and what can we make of the truth behind these cracks? And that's precisely why I've tried to structure the film itself as a fantasy.
0: So, at the beginning of the film, I think your establishing shot as a, uh, I don't know, is a—I don't know—is it a—is it a Canadian flag? Its colors, it's out of focus. It sounds like we've got, I think, hockey music in the background, national anthem, Olympics-like sound yeah. going on.
1: Is that we're f- under the ice, man? Okay, we're under the ice there it is it's the uh the logo the 2010 logo i think is Beautiful. like obscured by the frame and we're on the other side of the games and that's kind of our metaphorical jump
0: nice. off point for the movie and is that yeah. but is that is that the best we can ever hope for that out of focus
1: hmm. i mean but i guess that's kind of the point too is like in order to see the truth i guess one must kind of take a step or two to yeah. the left or to the right. It's kind of an anamorphosis, uh, a change in perspective, a parallax.
0: Well, it's, it's um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what, again, I mean, I, I, I found so great, uh, b- great, beautiful about the film is the, the step, like I said, I think earlier, it was, I felt voyeuristic in a way, stepping into these folks' lives. I felt like, wow, I need to have met these people first, said hello, shake their hands, had a coffee with them before, <laughs> all these stories could be revealed to me. You know, this is, this is so intimate. It's a haunting piece.
1: Mm, mm. Well, if you ever make your way to Vancouver, you'll probably run into Miss Roller Girl. She's a, uh, oh, is that right? Up and eh? down Maine and Broadway, um, Canby street. That's her stomping grounds. Um, she's out there right now. She, she's got some hot pink roller girl safety first tank tops that we provided with her. Um, so she can try to sell them and get some cash and, you know what? Um, there's that like GoPro scene in the movie where she uh, gets like harassed by yes. hockey fans. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Again, all real, all directly from from her life. But if you ever want to come to Vancouver, you'll probably run into Roller Girl. She's definitely a local
0: celebrity so, and icon. So, is it okay for me to say that one of my favorite lines in the movie is that the more there's more to being a celebrity than just looking like one? <laughs> 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 I had a, I had a few laugh out loud moments and that is without a doubt one it, I mean it, can I say intensely original too is that okay I mean it's just uh, yeah so uh, marvelous on so many levels what so so um Patriotism uh, on your site I, I, and, and I may, maybe we can kind of wrap this up because I, I think it's such an and there's so many things, so many different ways we could take this conversation, we could wrap it up in a variety of different ways but and sadly, we're going to have to bring it to a close, and I'm hoping maybe Wayne we can do a part two at some point down the road, but uh, I think this one could go on indefinitely um yeah. you say in the on the on your site patriotism quote is a very powerful fiction uh, yeah, close quote. How does that help me get closer to some kind of, or, or how how does a better understanding of that get me closer to a a more uh, meaningful um, social justice
1: with respect perfect. to yeah perfect absolutely I'm one hundred percent following you um, right so I guess the starting point is to have a very critical self reflection on on the history of this country. And mm. I, I say that as, as somebody who is Canadian as well. I'm not saying that as, as an outsider. I, I think that, so I'll speak to, I'll actually, I'll just speak for myself then. And then you can come to your own conclusion. I think that for me, what patriotism as a powerful fiction means is that I have a responsibility to check my love. Um, I think perhaps one of the most profound philosophical sentences I've ever read was, was from Hegel in The Phenomenology of Spirit, where he says that, quote, unintelligent love may perhaps do more harm than hatred, end quote. Hmm. And I think that that couldn't be true. I think that when you step into this world um, to unconditionally love something and un- unintelligently love something such as our country, I think there could be no no bigger ethical mistake because this is a country that has wrought violence upon peoples for centuries and will continue to do so until we all take a critical self-reflection about what this country means and why we unintelligently love it. And it's important to realize that we can retain our identity. We can be who we want to be. We can make a better world, but we must do so intelligently and we must be critical of our patriotism to do that.
0: I love, and I, lo- I love that. Well, uh, I love that, that this that, that that in your film and in your mind this uh, and in your I would imagine you're writing and you're thinking this leads us to love.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's where we end. You know, I want nothing more than these characters to find their love and for us to love them. Absolutely. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the point. Maybe this mm-hmm. love is something that should be transferred away from the settler state onto one another.
0: Wow, wow! I think that's a pretty nice, nice, nice ending. Uh, I mean, it's just from my perspective, it's just the beginning of our conversation, frankly, Wayne. But uh, again, th- thanks a bundle for your time. Congratulations. How are you feeling about the world premiere on September the twelfth?
1: I'm scared shitless.
0: <laughs> more, more about the reaction to the film, or more about the Q and
1: A, or just the madness of the festival? Oh, it's the madness. It's a culmination of things. It's um. One of my mentors, Gary Harvey, who's an EP on the movie, said to me, um, "It's always a live performance," and I don't think it could be more true. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and I want to thank you for bringing me on. I think this has been, you know, a wonderful experience, and um, it's been a great conversation. And I'd be happy to talk more in the future.
0: Yeah, I'll look forward to that, and I do hope that we can at least get a face to face at the festival. I'm going to be there for four or five days. I'm hoping um, maybe we can uh, we can at least say hello.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I'm looking forward
0: to it. So the world premiere of Lucky September 12th, uh, 7.15 at the TIFF Lightbox. We've been talking with Wayne wape here today with us. Thanks again, Wayne. I really appreciate it. Thank you.